everyone. Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and today I am with someone that may or may not have been grown in a secret medical experiment, first-time podcaster and a group member over at Orphan Entertainment on Facebook and listener of the podcast, Mr. Peter Quint. Peter, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Christopher. This is a, a first-time thing for me, so uh, be gentle. Well, I certainly will. I really appreciate you. Poor Lydia and I have been just going back and forth trying to schedule. And we've had, oh, just life events on both sides that have just kept pushing this thing later and later. And finally, I was just, would anyone else like to do this? And uh, you tentatively raised your hand. and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of meek. <laughs> I wasn't really sure what to expect. And uh, Were you, were you hoping, well, maybe I'll say it, but maybe he won't actually ask. <laughs> right. Who is this guy? Forget that. Well, I really appreciate it. I think this will be fun. I hope you have a good time, and uh, maybe if you do, maybe you can come back another time. I, it sounds good. Let's 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 do it. First of all, uh, let's get to know you a little bit more. We're uh, you 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 are a, not a podcaster. You don't have blogs or, or or websites really, but I do understand you got a, a little bit of a hobby that you like to to share with the world, Facebook wise. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, well, at least on Facebook, I learned how to brew my own beer here at home. Uh, about 15 years ago, and I've been brewing pretty consistently ever since. And early on in my brewing career, I thought, well, if I'm going to have this at home and I'm going to actually do this, why not just go all out? Let's just make something fun. So I decided to create my own fake brewery. So <laughs> I sat around uh, on the times that I wasn't brewing because there are lots of long spaces in between batches and i thought well what do i like the most i like monster movies and i like beer two things that go really well together Pretty much yeah yeah <laughs> uh, and so i was thinking what am i going to call my fake brewery well attack of the 50 foot beer as silly as it was is a little long and i don't think i could have fit <laughs> it on a label so i backed it off and just went straight up 50 foot brewery I love it. So I made up a, a logo and I had some professional help with it, even though it's, as you may have seen it, it's pretty simple, but I did have a, did have a little help making it. Um, and we just, we post when we brew. So it's lots of fun. Excellent. And you just post little, uh, I, I was, I went to your Facebook page. You just kind of post sort of mini reviews of any movies that you happen to be watching at the time. Well, we, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll post some, uh, we'll always have a movie going on in the background. Whether we actually watch it or not depends on how smoothly the, the creation of the beer is going. So, uh, right. and yeah, we'll we'll throw up some. Uh, th I think uh, recently we watched uh, King Kong from 1978. I think it was. Oh right. And okay. of course, oh uh, now I now I'm blanking on the guy's name, but the the fellow that played Odo on Deep Space Nine is in that film. Oh yeah, uh, Rene Abinjawah. Abinjinois, like that. You yes. say it better than I. <laughs> and uh, I had it had been years since I had seen that film, and by gosh, there he was on the screen, and we both screamed like little girls and went, "Hey, look, it's Odo!" Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. and that's what we do. It's it's a lot of fun. I've entered some competitions, haven't won anything, but uh, I haven't gotten anybody sick yet. So that's I think oh, well, first yeah. and foremost, there you go. I've succeeded. All right. And what, what can people, if they wanted to search you out on, on the Facebook, where would they where would they find this? You can just look on Facebook for 50 Foot Brewery. 
Um, and it's spelled out 50 F I F T Y foot brewery. And we don't post a lot. So if you happen to like it, you're not going to get a whole lot in your inbox, but when, uh, the brew day comes around, yeah, we'll start posting pictures and other goofy stuff that we get ourselves into. Excellent. Cool. I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes too. When, uh, when this, when this posts, I thank you much. Yeah, no problem. Uh, before we get any further, I do want to do a little house uh, housekeeping here. Uh, I'll always want to remind people that you can subscribe to Orphan Entertainment via iTunes uh, or any podcatcher of your choice. You can find us on Stitcher Radio, and we are now available on Google Play. They just recently started publishing or uh, hosting, not hosting, publishing. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Becoming little podcatchers of their own. Uh, we, we are there. And we are also have we have the Facebook group, which you know Pete is a is a member, and got about seventy five others. Uh, and I'd love to see that number grow a little bit. I mean, who wouldn't? If you're going to uh, if you're going to like us or join the group, you're not going to get f- your inboxes and uh, news feed isn't going to get flooded. But you can just search for Earth and Entertainment on Facebook. We have a YouTube channel where you can find all the films that we cover here on Orphan Entertainment. I like to publish those at least a couple of weeks before we record. So if anyone wants to get a chance to watch the film and maybe comment on it before we record, they have their chance. Watch at your own risk. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying that they're all good films. So maybe, yeah, maybe you want to listen and see what we think about it first before. <laughs> not, a bad, not a bad strategy. Uh, that email, if, if you ever do watch a film or if you watch a film after the fact or you don't agree or do agree with anything we say, you can email us at orphanentertainment at gmail.com. We did get an email, actually, this a, a couple months ago. I was waiting to read it until Lydia and I were together, but <laughs> Josh, it, it seems like I don't know when that's going to be anymore. So our friend uh, Daniel Sample sent us an email uh, in response to our coverage of Zontar, the thing from Venus. He said, I just finished listening to the latest episode. It was another excellent show. Thank you very much, Daniel. He first heard of Zontar from the SCTV spoof of it in the 80s, which I have not seen. I don't know anything about that. I'll have to look that up. One of my favorite scenes in the movie, he says, occurs when Kurt and Anne's car breaks down along with everything else, but in the background out of the window, you can see a car driving along with no problem. Uh, Maybe it was just coasting. (laughs) He said, uh, he said he'd give the movie a little higher rating than we did for just for the entertainment value. Uh, the worst thing a movie can be is boring, and this one definitely is not. Uh, I went back and looked. I gave it a two and a half, and Lydia gave it a two. So Daniel would go a little bit higher. It is entertaining, and it is not boring. So he does have a point there. And we both enjoyed it despite its flaws. He wraps it up by saying that he thinks The Naked Witch would be a really good Buchanan film uh, to do sometime. Uh, actually, it's funny you says it because Lydia and I were looking through the list of uh, of Mr. Buchanan and thought that that one jumped out. So it's been years since he's watched it, but as he recalls it being entertaining as well. But any of his movies would be. So there you go. So thank you very much, Daniel. Yeah, I, we will definitely do some more of the Buchanan films because they are cheesy. They are really corny and a great deal of them are in public domain. I haven't had a chance to look and make sure about Naked Witch, but if it is, I definitely think just on the title alone, I I don't think, how can we not cover that? All right, well, we're going to take a short break before we get into uh, this month's film. 
I want to introduce something new that I'm going to be doing uh, from here on in. I found this great collection of old radio shows called Five Minute Mysteries. So you guys are going to listen to a five-minute mystery. Also hear a little commercial for another fabulous podcast. And then when we come back, we're going to discuss 1976's Embryo. takes place in Green's Gap, a small town in the southern cavern district. Green's Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking. Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern. Accident? What kind of accident? Two men was exploring, and they got lost last night. One's unconscious. You better come quick before he's dead. You know how to get out to Echo Cavern, Lem. Well, Doc, being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know about all there is to know about this country. Ever been in the cavern, Lem? One stop, Melville, when I was a boy. <laughs> Nearly got my hide hand off of my paw. Echo Cavern's a mighty treacherous place. You mean it's uh, easy to get lost in? Well, not only that, Doc. It's had cavern gas, carbon uh, something. Carbon dioxide? Yes, that's it. All of a sudden, you run into some of that stuff, and before you know it, bing, you're out. Still, people seem to go exploring there. More fools you be. I wouldn't go into them caverns, leastwise not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting. I'm afraid, Mr. Gatty, your friend is dead. Yeah, poor Patsy. It was from the gas, wasn't it, Doc? That's what it looks like to me. Why did you go in that cavern, anyway? Patsy asked me to. He never seen a cave before. How far did you go in? Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Well, where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts it was if we was lost? We, we tried to trace our way back, but it wasn't no use. And Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared. Yeah, see... He was rather big, isn't he? Yeah, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutton Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself. But we stuck together, you know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. And all of a sudden, Patsy keeled over. From the gas? Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. Yeah. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure. I, I figure it was only because I'm five foot three that I got out of there alive. And the gas must have been just about a foot over my head. Yeah? And what do you think of that, Jock Melville? I think you'd better arrest Mr. Gatty for the murder of his friend, Patsy. What was the flaw in Gatty's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lamb and Dr. Melville. But first... for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio 
through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio! And now, let's see whether you're as observant as Lamb and the Doctor. Hey, copper, let me put my hands down. They're tired. When you're in Green's Gap Jail, not before. Ah, I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure how you found out. Lem tells me they used to take dogs in the cavern because the gas is heavier than air. It collects on the floor. If you really met gas, you would have keeled over first before your pal Patsy. Well, what do you know? I tell you, nowadays in this murder racket, you need a college education. Welcome back, everyone. Embryo was released, as I said, in 1976 by Cine Artist Pictures, uh, which went out of business before they could renew their copyright on this particular film, which is how it fell into the wide, wide world of public domain. The film was directed by Ralph Nelson, who previously directed 1963's Lilies of the Field, which garnered several Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture. And it was a winner for Best Actor for Sidney Poitier. It amazes me that some of these directors will do something that is like Academy Award nominated kind of film. And then a few years later, they do something like Embryo, which while may, you know, it, its merits can be argued. It's not an Academy Award material. <laughs> so strange. What, what were you thinking sort of moment? Yeah, exactly. Embryo stars, uh, let's see, the Embryo stars include uh, Barbara Carrera and Diane Ladd, uh, but the big name for this picture is none other than Rock Hudson. Mr. Hudson was born Rory Shearer, Shearer, I think, in 1925, and he grew up in Illinois. He sang in the Glee Club. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm trying to picture Rock Hudson singing. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) He actually, apparently he auditioned for a lot of school plays, but he had, he had trouble remembering his lines. He wouldn't get the part because he couldn't remember the lines for the thing. After high school, he served in the armed forces as an aviation mechanic. And after his tour was up, he moved to L.A. to pursue acting anyway, even though he wasn't so successful in high school. As you might expect, it didn't immediately go so well, and he find himself driving trucks for a living. Now, I can picture Rock Hudson driving trucks. <laughs> yeah, with the trucker cap? Yeah, I can see that. Yep. He sent a talent scout, Henry Wilson, a picture of himself in 1947, and Wilson went ahead and took Hudson on as a client and changed his name to Rock Hudson. 
The name was reportedly a combination of the Rock of Gibraltar and the Hudson River. And uh, supposedly Rock Hudson didn't was not crazy with the name, but this particular talent scout was really good with uh, finding people that their their looks uh, superseded their abilities and <laughs> would find them roles. And he found people like Rock, Rock Hudson and Tab Hunter. Uh, he, he found and renamed a lot of folks. How can you go wrong with Rock Hudson? I mean, you got to hire him. With a lot of acting classes, coaching, and minor roles, Hudson was eventually given a starring role in Douglas Sirk's 1954 film, Magnificent Obsession. The reviews were positive, and Hudson's career took off. And starring in the 1956 Giant, which garnered him and his co-star James Dean Oscar nominations. Throughout the 60s, Hudson became a staple of the romantic comedies, like Pillow Talk, um, which was the first of three co-starring performances with Doris Day. Uh, Lover Come Back, Semi No Flowers, A Spiral Road, and Strange Bedfellows were another list of films there. He tried his hand at science fiction in 1966's Seconds, uh, the action genre in 67's Tobruk, the spy thriller in Ice Station Zebra, and even a western opposite John Wayne in The Undefeated. His big screen popularity began to falter in the late 60s and early 70s, so he found a new home on the small screen, appearing in a lot of TV movies and series, most popular being the detective series Macmillan and Wife with co-star Susan St. James, which is something I remember watching when I was a kid. It was running on reruns, and I've actually kind of went back and revisited that series, and it is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, I've, I've never caught that. <laughs> it is. It is really good. Macmillan, or uh, Macmillan, uh, Hudson and Susan St. James really do they bounce off each other really well. Definitely check it out then. In the early 80s, Hudson health, Hudson's health began to deteriorate, and a lifetime of drinking and smoking eventually led to a heart attack in 1981. His health continued to be of concern, as he could, but he continued acting and appeared in several more TV movies. From December 84 to April 85, he appeared in the hit TV show Dynasty as a love interest of star Linda Evans. But Hudson's ability to speak began to visibly deteriorate, and Though he was, he was meant to appear throughout the fifth season of the show, he was hastily written out. Unknown to the public, Hudson was diagnosed, diagnosed with HIV in 84. Hudson kept his illness a secret and continued to work while traveling to other countries seeking a cure, or at least a treatment, to slow the progress of the disease. In 85, Hudson traveled to Paris, France for another round of treatments, and he, he was found collapsed in his, ho in his Ritz hotel room. Hudson's publicist confirmed that Hudson did in fact have AIDS, and Hudson speculated he might have contracted HIV through transfused bloods from an infected donor during the multiple blood transfusions he received during his heart bypass. On the morning of October 2, 85, Hudson died in his sleep from AIDS-related complications at his home in Beverly Hills. He was only 59 years old. The disclosure of Hudson's AIDS diagnosis provoked a widespread public discussion of his homosexuality, or some say bisexuality, which was well known by his friends and colleagues, but considering Hollywood at the time, he kept it secret from the public. It also had an immediate impact on the visibility of AIDS and on the funding of medical research related to the disease. Among activists who were seeking to destigmatize AIDS and its victims, Hudson's revelation of his own infection with the disease was viewed as an event that could transform the public's perception of AIDS. William H. Or, well, sorry, William M. Hoffman, the author of As Is, a play about AIDS that appeared on Broadway in 1985, stated, quote, If Rock Hudson can have it, nice people can have it. It's, not, it's just a disease, not a moral affliction, unquote. 
Shortly after his death, People Magazine reported that since Hudson made his announcement more than $1.8 million in private contributions, more than double the amount collected the year prior, had been raised to support AIDS research and to care for AIDS victims. A few days after Hudson's di- Hudson died, Congress set aside $221 million to develop a cure for AIDS. So I remember this. this. It was one of those things that was happening in the background where maybe I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I remember it happening. I remember it being in the news. And this was really about the time that suddenly AIDS became, well, for lack of a better term, a household word. Yeah, I, I remember it uh, vaguely being probably the first time asking about, what what is this? What is this disease? Because I, I was pretty young then and I wasn't I just didn't know what it was what it meant how you get it and all that good stuff and so yeah I remember this I remember asking my parents about this when I was younger and and kind of getting the story from them right yeah it's a shame that it has to take something like this to bring it into the limelight but also it's kind of one of these things that it's good that it finally does and starts the conversation it starts the research and now I mean Honestly, with some of the recent medical breakthroughs, we're finally kind of almost like on the cusp of actually finding a way to, if not completely control it, to it maybe even to end it's it. It's no longer a death sentence. Exactly, exactly. Which all through the 80s, it, it pretty much was. was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something maybe a little bit happier now. <laughs> let's get into the plot of the film. <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> I'm sensing. I'm sensing. I know about how you're going to rate this at the end. Don't get me wrong. I <laughs> no spoilers. I love my bad movies. I really, really do, and I will make fun of them, even though I enjoy them. So I did pull out some fun things from this film that made me genuinely laugh. So excellent. It. I. I, I can't say that. Uh, it's. It's time that I can't get back. But I will say that it was probably the longest 84 minutes I have ever spent. <laughs> right. Well, I'm definitely curious to, uh, to see what you've gleaned from this thing. So we'll get into this. <laughs> Embryo opens with a little disclaimer text on the screen. It says, the film you're about to see is not all science fiction. It is based on medical technology that currently exists for fetal growth outside the womb. It could be a possibility tomorrow. Or today. <laughs> that was from Charles R. Brinkman the Third MD, which apparently I assumed was a made up, but no, apparently that was actually a doctor, a scientist, a doctor that was pulled in for the film for uh, what do they call it? Um, what's for the testimonial? Word? No, not testimonial. Uh, uh, um, Quota. I, I, I knew the phrase, and now I can't <laughs> think of what it was. You know where they where they get someone in to make sure they get things right. Um, oh, a consultant. Consultant. There you go. That's a good word. That's as good as word. <laughs> Tech, technical consultant. How about there that? There you go. Yeah, apparently I was an actual doctor they pulled in for a, for technical uh, consulting. Uh, I'm not sure if you could say this guy earned his paycheck or not, but <laughs> but at least they at least they tried, maybe. <laughs> One thing that I did after I saw that, I was calling, I, I actually thought back, like, when, when was the first test tube baby? Mm. And while a test tube baby isn't literally a baby growing in a test tube, um, it is just, it it is a process, uh, unlike what was going on here with Rock Hudson, where he was growing a fetus in a, I don't know, a fish tank. Uh, 
But, but yeah, in 1978, the world's first test tube baby was born. So this guy is probably knew something more than you know the general public did that this was they were on the cusp of this happening. No, oh, yeah, very yeah, good point. Well, the film opens, the actual film opens as in, in literally a dark and stormy night. We see uh, Mr. Hudson driving his way, driving along a, a wet and rainy, wet and slick road, uh, driving way too fast for the weather and for the size of his car. <laughs> and I, I, I love the seventies. You look at the, you need a definition for land yacht. <laughs> Just watch the opening scene in this film. Oh yeah, that is a, a big old Lincoln of his or whatever is about four cars. It, truly. <laughs> well, dog runs out in front of him and he ends up hitting this poor thing. He takes the still-living dog home, where we meet Martha, his sister-in-law. Uh, this was played by Diane Ladd. Paul apparently is a doctor-slash-scientist, and co- he comes complete with his own home lab, which always handy to have. Well, sure, you're a mad scientist, or maybe. <laughs> but my, my question was, as you see the lab, and he's getting the dog ready mm-hmm. uh, for uh, to, to help rescue it, and... Why is everything covered? Well, I think that comes up a little bit later. That actually does get e- explained. Yeah, I also think it was, a- and I, I think I've I've got I've got it mentioned further on. So we'll get to that when okay. we get when we get to the. He um he does examine the dog. He decides that he's going to attempt some surgery to save her. Uh, fortunately, he has canine plasma lying around and everything he needs. That's that's the one thing where I'm wondering about the technical uh, consultant here is maybe he was there to help with some of the verbiage and the techno babble. But as far as setting up a lab, if this guy's a research scientist, why does this lab look like an operating theater? <laughs> I'm not sure, what kind of research was he doing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. Well, while he is d- trying to rescue the dog, he discovers that the dog is pregnant. Well, hoping the babies might have a chance to survive where the mother might not, he calls his son, Gordon, who's at home with his pregnant wife, and asks him to bring a list of chemicals and canine plasma and all this good stuff stat. His son, Gordon, is surprised by the call, as this is the first time that he's called uh, since the quote-unquote, the accident. Well, by the time Gordon gets there with all the stuff, Paul has transplanted three of the puppy fetuses to artificial wombs. What's going on, Dad? Tell you in a minute. Oh, Paul. What happened to her? She ran out in front of the car. I couldn't stop in time. I'm trying to save the pups. I mean, these things are alive? Two of them are now. They don't resemble their mother very much. Well, you didn't exactly look like Robert Redford at that stage either. They're alive. And that makes them beautiful. She's gonna live, isn't she? I don't know. She's holding her own. You know how good. You are a mess. Huh? Why don't you go get cleaned up? Oh, uh, Yeah. I, uh, I'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Is my future protege behaving himself? Oh, hardly. He's ornery as hell, starting to kick. You want to feel? Yeah. Hey, what does Dr. Cameron say? He says you're going to be a perfectly healthy grandfather. 
Grandfather. <laughs> hmm. Back in a minute. Good to see him working again. You know, he hasn't been in the lab since Mother died. This is the first time that I have ever been in the lab. It is unreal. So that's why you ended up... And, and, and later on, you find out that uh, Mr. Hudson... His name's Paul. I've already forgot his actual name in the film. <laughs> but Paul here, uh, he and his wife were research scientists who worked t- together. And apparently she died in an accident. And he hadn't done any research or work since that time. I missed that. <laughs> well, Paul is off getting a fresh shirt because he's got dog blood all over it. <laughs> Uh, he sees a picture of his, his late wife, Nicole, and he ponders out loud where she is in all of this. Martha, hanging out in the corner of his bedroom, a little creepy, uh, says that she's still here with both of them. Oh, Nicole, where in all this are you? My sister's still here, Paul, with us. she isn't. And I'm still guilty to make it easier for you. No. You still resent the fact that I walked away without a scratch. Nicole's gone. And I'm still here. You can't accept that, Martha. And neither can I. So you see, we agree. As simple as that. I guess he accuses her of blaming him for being guilty of her, her sister's death. And that's a little twisted back and forth there, but that's kind of how it works out. And you never really know if that's really how she feels, but that's certainly how he thinks she feels. Yeah, it was a little confusing, but perfectly, of course. <laughs> well, back in the lab, another pup has died. Paul decides to try an experimental drug that he and his uh, late scientist wife were working on before his before her death, this drug, placental lactogen, will speed up the fetus's growth, apparently. Uh, apparently, they lost uh, several children pr- uh, to premature birth, and they figured if they could come up with some way to speed the growth up of a, a fetus, they would have a chance of survival. And that's what the research they were working on. may have been saved by uh, a more expedient uh, term Mm-hmm. Um, or even if it, he said many times something about there was a threshold of where the fetus it was impossible to save if it was just a few weeks or months later then the the fetus would have a fighting chance and that's I think that's where he was going with this placental gobbledygook exactly <laughs> Well, the drug works, and the puppy reaches a point that it can survive outside of the womb. With no apparent harm from the drug, Paul continues doses of the growth hormone, and within days, the pup has grown to a to weeks of age. And after about a week, Paul has a perfectly healthy one-year-old dog, who also seems extremely t- intelligent. Uh, unbelievably intelligent. Yeah, Star absolutely. Star of the movie, if you ask me. <laughs> Well, with the success of number one, as he calls the dog, 
Paul decides he is going to attempt another similar experiment with a human embryo. There is a big old leap of science. <laughs> this, this is where I thought the movie was going to go off the rails because his son had a pregnant wife. Uh-huh. I thought that's where they were going. Yeah, you think so. Yeah, that almost scene, as soon as you, you meet uh, Gordon and, uh-huh. and the wife and it turns out she's pregnant, you're, it, you just, it's almost like the red lights start. Yep. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised it didn't go that direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I like how the fact that first they take this giant leap. Hey, it worked with a dog, so let's do it with a person. And But he does this while gazing at a, at a print that he has hanging on his wall of the of Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam. Yes. <laughs> Boy, can you hit it home any harder than that? Uh-huh. No God compliments here. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Well, Paul drives into town with number one at his side. He makes a stop and leaves the dog in the car. Once he's out of once he's out of sight, number one opens the door and and it steps out. He meets a small dog who proceed, who proceeds to bark and growl at number one. Well, number one will have none of that, and he bites and thrashes the small dog around, killing it. He then hides the body in some ground cover, and then returns to the car and closes the door. This is amazing! <laughs> what a what a good dog. <laughs> Good boy. Well, you know, it's funny. As soon as I saw that dog, this is just like a dog that lives up the road from me. And when I walk my dog, whenever they let that stupid thing out, it comes and terrorizes and bites at her heels. And I hate that little mutt. And it looked just like this dog. I'm thinking, you know what, number one? Go for it. <laughs> just make sure you hide him good. Well, meanwhile, while this is happening, Paul meets with a doctor friend at a local hospital. He asks for the chance to harvest an embryo. And I think it's probably at this point easier to play a clip. Impossible. Difficult. But not impossible. You'd be jeopardizing your career, your whole life. The results could be worth it. Nothing is worth going to jail for. That's debatable. Nicole had three miscarriages before we had Gordon. They were all genetically perfect but they died because they came into the world too soon. Paul, I understand, believe me, now I do. And I know your dedication, but it is morally questionable to experiment with a living being. A six-month fetus is a living being with a chance of survival outside of the womb, but 12 to 14 weeks has no hope whatsoever. I'm not asking for anything that has a chance for life on its own. An accident where the mother is dying is what I need. An abortion, even. Listen to me. 20 years' work is beginning to take shape. The children that Nicole and I didn't have will in their own way live. Now help me, Jim, please. Maybe. And only if it does not put me or the hospital in a vulnerable position. Blood type A. That may take a little while. I'll let you know. I have a temporary life support container in the car. I'll get it. Betrays a certain quiet self-confidence on your part. I knew you as a fervent doctor before you became a fervent administrator. I've got several notes about certain 70s things that wouldn't fly today. And I think this one would not fly even in the 70s. This is pretty, pretty brazen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that you expect you know, back in the... Uh, Turn of the century yeah. medical practice yes. or something. Yeah, not, <laughs> not 1970s. Not, not when there are records being kept like that. 
<laughs> exactly. Well, fortunately, through the magic of movies, it's not very long before an opportunity presents itself. Uh, a pregnant suicide victim turns up, and apparently the perfect age of the, the fetus and the perfect blood type. Mm-hmm. Well, lots of medical talky-talky, but the uh, between with Mr. Uh, with with Paul in his lab, uh, he does a lot of uh, self-recording his his notes uh, into the tape recorder, so we get to hear everything that he's doing. And it is a lot of medical gobbledygook that I don't know. I don't understand, and I'm not going to try. <laughs> I didn't really look any of it up to see if it was Toho science or not, but I'll I'll let it fly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm assuming that's where this that that right. that, that doctor came in and just made sure they weren't injecting uh, glue into somebody <laughs> into the ear mite of a Australian dust mite yeah. or something. Yeah, whatever. Right. Well, the fetus responds to the drug and the fetus grows at a rate of about thirty to one. It survives and is quote unquote born days after beginning the drug, and it's a healthy baby girl. Surprisingly, however, even after stopping the growth hormone, the child continues to develop at an accelerated rate. In a single day, the child ages a year. Then the rate increased to two years for every 24 hours. Eventually, the cell growth eases off, but the existing cells begin to die and, or age and die alarmingly fast. So, what's the answer? More risky drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and risky, highly addictive drugs. So Paul begins the slow process of waking the girl up, and he also begins audio teaching. He calls it subconscious teaching. So he, he, yeah, he plays a uh, a recording. We I'm assuming he the idea was he was going to play more than just this one particular math oh, recording, but I guess we didn't get any further than that. It's not the best <laughs> audio book I've ever heard. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Well, late at night, Paul checks in the lab and discovers the woman has woken up, and she appears to be in her. Young 20s, maybe, which is good because he's standing in the doorway stark naked. <laughs> Paul names her Victoria. Well, like the dog, Victoria shows remarkable learning skills. Uh, even beyond the uh, the math lesson that was playing over and over and over. See? <laughs> she, learns, she learns how to speak and repeat the, the math Pretty lesson. Pretty shockingly quickly, yes. It was, mm-hmm. She picked up speech very fast. Uh, very, very fast. And with the accent of, uh, you, I get the, Barbara Carrera definitely has like a, uh, I guess she was an Italian. Yeah, she had she had a lot of European blood, uh, Italian and English, I thought. Yes, and uh, and apparently an accent. Yeah. And despite the fact that, you know, apparently accents are hereditary <laughs> and not learned. <laughs> I also like the fact uh, the her name was explained. So I... Uh, I, I met. I I thought to myself, okay, her name is Victoria. Was it a callback to Victor Frankenstein, Victor Victoria? But found out that since it was a success or a victory, that's why hmm. Paul. I wonder if it was one, and they just made up the other <laughs> in order to you know cover up the fact that you know it was kind of a Frankenstein knot. God, I like that. I like the idea that maybe a little tip of the hat to the old Mary Shelley there. It's open. <laughs> well, Martha, the sister-in-law. Oh, you know that's something I wanted to mention. I wanted to talk a little bit about Martha, the sister-in-law. I'm assuming maybe she already lived there before her sister died. 
I, I, I couldn't decide if it was something that she was just happened to be living with her sister and her husband or if this was some sort of misogynistic thing where, well, obviously, he, he now he's a widow. He can't just survive on his own without a woman in the it's house. going to make him or, sandwiches. Yeah, who's going to make him sandwiches <laughs> and coffee when he needs it? I, oh, God, I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure what Martha was doing there, why she was still living with her dead sister's husband. It was very odd. And she was not a good woman. There's a great line that Paul has later on in the film, and it describes her perfectly. He says, you go through life like you're sucking on a lemon. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that is a perfect description of Martha. She, she was a sourpuss, that's for sure. Oh, she was a sourpuss. I mean, even immediately in the beginning when he comes in with the dog, um, he says, oh, it ran out in front of me. And she's like, it's her immediately, what, were you speeding? What was that? Was, were, did, did you, were drinking? Were you speeding? I'm like, God, back off, lady. <laughs> I have to save a dog. Golly. Yeah. But she was, well, you got the impression that she did live there, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She definitely lived in the house. <laughs> and so I always wondered why, I mean, the baby is in the lab screaming its full head off like babies do. She didn't hear it. Well, did I don't know. Did it actually scream its full head off? Because it, it, you know, it grew awfully fast. So I wasn't sure if he kept it asleep through all that to the point where it wasn't crying. Maybe, yeah. She, she was kept unconscious most of the time. She was kind of like Martha was sort of like a nineteen fifties kid, a, a sitcom kid. <laughs> they're only there when the story demands it and they're always they're always asked they're never there when it don't <laughs> whenever the plot needs moved moved along <laughs> exactly Martha leaves to help Anne which is uh, Gordon's wife Paul's daughter-in-law as she uh, nears you know her last trimester or, you know per, per, help, help her out around the house now that she's kind of well on her way in the pregnancy and apparently Paul has lied that he's going to go to Denver in order to have uh, so he can have the house to himself so he can begin the teaching of Victoria. Well, Victoria almost walks out on the three of them, but number one prevents her. How do you like that? Talk about smart dog. That dog knows more than everyone else in the movie. Know it. Uh, she discovers a fish tank and catches a fish and <laughs> just kind of stands and watches it as it dies on the table. Uh, this was this was the. This is one of those, ah, the 70s, because the fish is a real fish. Yeah, It really <laughs> is dying. <laughs> yeah, you almost, wonder, you almost wonder about that dog that number one thrashed around, don't you? <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was a point when I saw the fish, I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I need to rewind this and see if that, that little dog did get, get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, Pete. As soon as the scene cut, they put it back in the water and it was fine. Uh, no, <laughs> that dog was so well trained. I mean, he picked up as as Victoria walked away. The dog mm -hmm. just picks up the fish in his mouth and dumps it in the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, no, no amount of training. This is this is a dog with his own mind. It's it's really yeah. <laughs> Well, Paul uh, finds Victoria in the house, and they uh, he gets her dressed, and he kind of shows her, uh, you know, starts teaching her, you know, how to brush her hair. Fortunately, he still has all his wife's clothes, and apparently, I, I guess she's exactly the same size as his wife because everything seems to fit very nicely. <laughs> and that's 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 going to take some doing because Barbara was a very very skinny 
seventies model. I mean, we're talking. Yeah, she was Mexican. a petite woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a that's a Paul must have been married to a very skinny lady. <laughs> Apparently, well, we don't know what Nicole was like. Yeah. So. Well, Paul and Victoria take a nice walk through the garden, and Paul fills her in on her abbreviated past. Were there times when you were afraid I wouldn't be a victory? Oh, from the beginning. You see, I never really expected you to be born. And then your life took hold. It wouldn't let go. It moved at such speed. I didn't think I could stop it. You know, there was a chance there where you could have been born, lived, and died of old age without ever knowing you'd existed. Couldn't you have gone for help? If the methotrexate hadn't worked, I would have. But, thank God it did. Why, thank God? What would have been so bad about going for help? I'd have put you into a clinic. There you'd have been a strange happening, an exhibit. Something under glass to be looked at, examined, experimented with. A freak. A freak. I would have hated that. I know. Can it happen now? No. Oh, one chance in a million, but that's as good as saying no. Your cells are normal. Still, we're going to have to tell people about you. Can't keep your secret much longer. That's going to be a problem for you, Victoria. I'm sorry for that. You see, you're unique. Later, Victoria is reviewing Paul's papers and reports that he's written. He's list, he's, she's reading all his, his notes and listening to his tapes, taking it all and speed reading the whole thing. Uh, this is you know, more indication that she is uh, just as intelligent as his dog, but apparently she actually has to learn where there's a dog just seems to know. Uh, while she's in the lab, uh, Martha shows up unexpectedly. Apparently Paul's out. And she makes her way to the attic to retrieve one of the most just ugly lamps I've ever frog shaped lamp. I, I, it took me a while. It's like, why is she even getting and it? Then it occurred to me, Oh, they're probably getting the nursery ready. And they figured this would be cute in a kid's room. And that's about the only place that that lamp would look good. At. I, I did not come to that conclusion. I, I could not wrap my brain around why you have a giant frog lamp in your attic. Because <laughs> yeah. like, you don't want in your living room. No, definitely not. Well, she is confronted by number one. Uh, she gingerly makes her way out, uh, makes her way by the dog. Uh, she runs towards the lab, number one barking in pursuit, trying to find Paul, because if number one's there, Paul must be around. Uh, Victoria hides behind the door with scissors at the ready, uh, I might add, while number one barks threatening to keep her from coming in. Well, Martha makes it out without discovering Victoria, and she drives off. Paul returns home and is relieved by Victoria not being seen. But Victoria wants to be seen. She begs Paul to take her somewhere. For some reason, after even after all this, he agrees. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> he decides that, yeah, decides that ad, that afternoon they'll head into town or maybe travel abroad. It's a little unclear. Um, I swear at some point she asked if they can go back sometime and Paul tells her that what or asks her what two weeks was it enough i have no idea where they went I, I, it wasn't clear at all it it's almost as if they actually took a road trip or something they took a road trip or they vacationed right. i i don't know what happened or where they went but apparently it was two weeks okay 
anyway, so they're they're driving back, I guess, and they decide to pick up Martha and allow Victoria to meet Gordon and Nan. They've worked on a backstory uh, for Victoria, yes. and she will pose as a research assistant from Denver. Well, when they get to Gordon's, there's a party going on. Well, it's time for Victoria to mingle. Martha is, um, well, she's suspicious of the whole thing, and she's a crab. I, Like I said, sucks on a lemon every, as soon as you see her. When she's when she sees Paul come in with a girl, it's just like hmm, a girl. What's she doing? What's he doing with her? Yeah, you just see it in her face. It's like, okay, maybe she does blame him for her sister's death, and now she figures, I'm going to stick around and make sure that Paul is never happy again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she certainly has the uh, what what's it called the uh, RBF, the resting bitch face. Yes, very good. Maybe she might have invented it. This is where resting bitch face. (laughs) I get a kick out of party. You know, there's lots of people, a lot of minglers, uh, lots of people talking. Victoria meets Isaac from the Love Boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) But that was awesome. He's only on the scene. He has lines. He actually has lines, but he's only on the on the scene for a few seconds. But I'm like, hey, it's Isaac. Must be on you know on on stop before he you know before he ships out again. Shame he wasn't bartending. Exactly. (laughs) Then Victoria gets hit on in the most '70s sleaze kind of way that you possibly can. (laughs) I loved it. Uh, It made me laugh so hard. Again, another '70s thing that just would not roll today. I, uh, I've been in a holding pattern over you all day. Much like them about it. Look, while we're mulling over all options, have some wine. It's an Italian vintage. Probably made in, uh, Algeria out of bull's blood and rubbing alcohol. If a man with your taste and intelligence enjoys it, who am I to refuse? Sun shines on these dreary people as if they were worth a floodlight inspection. But for me, as uh, as Oscar Wilde once said, give me deeper darkness. Money is not made in the light. Excuse me. I believe it was Mr. George Bernard Shaw. First a curtain of Heartbreak House. Of course. I was just testing you in your past. Beauty plus intelligence. Very sensuous. Oh, we're going to enjoy a rousingly good hump. Hump? A ragged old yes. on. You refer well, to uh, a favorite slang word that the Elizabethans use for fornication. I've read much of the subject. Of course. what? Oh, man. I couldn't believe it. I, I had to stop the movie and go tell my wife. <laughs> it, it, it didn't work for me, so no, no. no sorry. <laughs> None other than Roddy McDowell makes an appearance at the party as a very egotistical chess player. When is he not an egotistical person? Uh, well, that's a good point. He does <laughs> seem to have that role kind of set. Oh up. yeah, oh he's great. Well, Victoria ends up in a chess match with him and um, has him on the proverbial ropes before the end. <laughs> Everyone else loses constantly. This guy is like, well, yeah, of course it is. Good game. Not really. I'm really good, and you're really bad. Uh, But she sits down, and she actually gives him a really good run for his money. Well, Paul kind of sits behind him, 
And as she's getting ready to make a couple moves, he kind of gives her a shows a little quiet sign that suggests that she throw the game, which she does. This outrages McDowell more than anything, <laughs> but it delights everyone else. <laughs> he got his comeuppance. He got his comeuppance, and everyone was very pleased because he realizes what happened. She's been playing uh, some historic game that would because she's read books about chess, but she's never played. Well, apparently, apparently she was playing some historic game that he should have recognized. I always wonder about that. Is there really people out there that play chess that literally have all these games memorized that they can recognize them as they play? Uh, probably. Um, if you can memorize a Nintendo code, I would imagine you could. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> well it, it's not me. I know which direction the horsey can go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that night after the party, everything goes very well. Uh, that night, Back at the back at the house, Victoria shows up in Paul's room in a very see-through negligee, and asks Paul to help in furthering her quote-unquote experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, class is over. Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> this is the advanced uh, the the advanced class. While celebrating her newfound womanhood in the bathroom, Victoria is suddenly struck with severe pain. Uh, fearful that Paul will take her to a clinic and she become an object of scientific study, she makes her way to the lab and injects herself with the addictive stimulant. And I think at this point, this is takes us about, this is actually, believe it or not, this is about three quarters of the way into the film. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you're just kind of sitting here going, please do something, hurry up. It, the movie takes a while to speed up. <laughs> it does indeed, and it goes breakneck from about here. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. Now, I don't know about you, Christopher, but being in 1976, this isn't really a slasher film. But no, you know from the 70s and 80s slasher films that once you have sex, things tend to go bad from there. That is true. Oh, very good point. And this is where things start to go bad. And as you mentioned, yes, she starts getting pains. And I really don't want to spoil too much of the rest of the film, because like you said, this is where it really starts picking up. But just know that where you you didn't think the pregnant wife, uh, where you thought it was going to go, it doesn't. But they do find a place for her. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Uh, Very. And a rather... A strangely, I don't want to spoil anything, but in a strange sort of very dark but incredibly quickly glossed over way. <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was odd. I told my wife that as hard as this one was to watch, that ending was actually pretty satisfying. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I think some of it was. I think the very end was a little bit of a. Um, I don't know. What do you want to do? This? Yeah, sure. Do it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I do kind of feel that the whole story was a lot of um, a lot of writing, and then not really sure where we're going to go from with, with, with it from here. You know, there was no real clear cut path that this story had, and they just sort of meandered a little until and, and then went okay, and then uh, the the end. Yeah, they had a pretty good start. They had a really good finish. They didn't have anything in the middle. <laughs> And I take it this was a first-time watch for you. It was, indeed. And yeah. I, I enjoyed it, as horrible as it was. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> sure if 
a lot of people would enjoy it, but hey, um, I've seen I've seen worse. God help me. <laughs> exactly, you've seen worse. <laughs> we like to give uh, Othel ratings. You know, a one to five scale. Uh, one would be, do not ever watch this film. We're sorry we brought it up. And five being, you have to watch this film. I can't believe we haven't watched this before. Where do you think this one would fall? Oh, and half points are acceptable. Okay. Two and a half would be best because it is for the I love me a bad movie junkie. The the, the payoff is the best thing going for this is it's only 84 minutes. I like the payoff and I like the beginning. I like the sciencey stuff in the beginning. But it really, even in 84 minutes, it drug. Golly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, the only other thing I really had a problem with it, uh, and it had nothing to do with the writing or the acting. I thought the acting was fairly good throughout. Yeah. Um, but the, the, it must have been the cut because watching it off of archive.org, it was very dark. Mm-hmm. Everything was very dark. So I yeah. wonder if they just didn't have a very good print. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, we've got a, a, a copy that's about as good as you're going to get on our YouTube page. And I think it's also available on Amazon, and it may even be – I think it's Prime. And I think that copy isn't too bad either. Uh, I have seen some that are just really muddy. Well, even the good copies, it it just seems to be something about films from the 70s just somewhere along the way um, – Someone runs. I think they must be copies of copies of copies of That's copies. That's all I and can just figure. Keeps yeah. And so by the time they finally get digitized, their whatever copy they had, they're they're not coming from original film stock kind of thing. <laughs> They've been videotaped over. You know, if you take that that VHS tape that someone recorded <laughs> off a cable, right, and then transferred to a DVD, yeah, that's always a crisp and clean picture. At least the audio was actually fairly decent. Some of these of the audio can get really muddy too, and you and this one you really needed to be able to hear what they were saying. So I think the audio at least was 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 pretty good, and uh, I, I would I would go to Amazon and try to watch that print maybe, or go to our YouTube page, and I, I think that's a fairly decent one. Okay, I agree with you mostly. I actually don't think the final payoff I thought was a little out of left field. Um, I think they were trying to just suddenly be a little shocking. So I, you know, I'd knock off a little bit for, for an ending that I feel like they really didn't know how to end it. And so they just pulled something out of a hat. <laughs> Go back to a classic, a classic bad monster movie ending. Exactly. I actually kind of enjoy, I guess somewhere around the, in, in, in the middle. And I almost kind of wish they could have done it a little bit more in depth when he's kind of doing the, um, where he's teaching her, trying to, trying to show her how to do the simple thing. They kind of really gloss over it. I mean, she doesn't even know how to brush her hair. As a 20-something-year-old woman with this long black hair, and she doesn't even know how to brush her own hair. And I kind of like the idea of it. I like what they were trying to go, where they're, what they were trying to do with it. I don't necessarily think that this was a really good... I don't know if they really accomplished it with this. Yeah, I did enjoy the film. It is, like you said, it's kind of one of those, I won't say it's so bad it's good, no. but if you like a cheesy movie, if you like a bad movie, and certainly if you got a movie you want to sit with some friends and kind of scratch your head together and go, what did they just say? <laughs> <laughs> what what just happened? Uh, it, it can be a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm right there with you, though. I'd give it a two and a half. It's definitely not a movie that I think you should be avoided, but it's not for everybody. Absolutely not. It, yeah. It's a, it's, it's for the diehards for the completists for the, 
well for the fans of Barbara Carrera. I mean, my goodness, James Bond. Right. Was, you know, she was Bond, a Bond yeah, girl. and she looks beautiful oh, in this film. I, and there, there is a little bit of nudity. So if you, if if you if you like if you want a little bit of that, you know that it is in here. Um, it is Barbara's and not Rock. So <laughs> <laughs> thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> not saying Rock Hudson's not handsome. I'm just saying brother brother look at Barbara. But uh, it was a fun movie. It, it definitely has its flaws. But yeah, two and a half I think is I think is fair. So I'm, I'm glad we both we maybe look at it a little differently, but we came down on it about about the same. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun romp. Good. Well, I think that unless you have anything else to add, that's gonna about do it, I guess. Yeah, I think that uh, that pretty much wraps it up. Um, I got every all my notes. Excellent. Uh, the points that I wanted to make, and yeah, this was fun. Yeah, excellent. I'm glad you had a good time. Thank you very much for doing it. This was a lot of fun. I, I have to admit, I'm I'm kind of now I'm. I'm really thinking I'm opening myself up to the idea of like, I like the idea of a guest host, you know, maybe Derek over at monster kid radio has had it right all this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, 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 don't tell Lydia. <laughs> I don't know. No, she's, she needs to be there. <laughs> we all of us exactly. Play. Oh, I, I would not give up Lydia for I anything. Know. She, she is just absolutely awesome. I think she makes the podcast. So, but Pete, you made this one. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on and you know, it, this went fantastic. I, no, we had some technical difficulties. <laughs> it's just, it's, this is like the podcast that refused to be made. <laughs> what are you telling me? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yay, technology. Yeah, but we, we finally did it. And, and you know, thank, thanks in, in some part to your patience. So uh, thank you very much. Not at all. This was a hoot. Um, I hope we can do it again. I don't want to ever replace Lydia. So whenever she can't do it, give me a buzz. All right. Well, thank you very much. I just may do that. So, you know, fair warning. No problem. (laughs) Thanks a bunch, Chris. I really enjoy it. Uh, No problem. Thank you, Pete. And thank you all for listening. Uh, We are going to come back next month. Hopefully Lydia will be with us uh, or with me again. And we'll have another fun film to to talk about. And please download, email, join the Facebook. Check out Pete's Facebook fake brewery uh, review. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Page, blog, whatever, he, whatever he wants to call it on, you know, whatever day maybe, yeah. and uh, and we will uh, we'll catch you all next time. Bye, everyone. You go through life as if you were constantly sucking on a lemon. Well, then I'll have to learn to sip nectar in the future. <laughs>